Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look, and I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, we continue to examine how guaranteed income programs are helping thousands of households. In Mississippi, the Magnolia Mother's Trust is the nation's longest-running program, and we'll find out how long that program has been helping women. And our Paycheck to Paycheck series examines the plight of newly arrived refugees and becoming financially stable. And in just a moment, now I won't solve the entire region's affordable housing crisis, but there are plans to bring what's cited as permanent affordable homes to the city's East Lake community. And it's supposedly just the beginning of an initiative to build in several Atlanta neighborhoods. That and other conversations coming up. But first, this speaking of home prices, some Atlanta area realtors say they're worried too many buyers are being priced out of the hot housing market here. As Stephanie Stokes reports, it comes as we see another month of rising home prices. Just like months before, the median price for a home went up in February. In Metro Atlanta, it's now $380,000, a 20% increase from the year before. And also like previous months, the number of homes on the market went down. It's declined 15% since last year. This has been the trend throughout the pandemic. Low supply, high prices. According to the Atlanta Realtors Association, this may be great for sellers, but it's putting homeownership at risk for first-time and low-income buyers. The county where it's most expensive to buy a home continues to be Fulton, with a median sales price of $400,000. Stephanie Stokes, WABE News. In other news, Georgia's Republican primary will be a key test of former President Donald Trump's lasting influence on the party, As Sam Greenglass reports from Commerce, this is where Trump campaigned on Saturday with a slate of Georgia candidates. Almost every Republican incumbent running statewide for re-election in Georgia is facing a Trump-backed challenger. That includes Governor Brian Kemp. At his rally outside Athens, Trump ripped Kemp for not helping try to overturn the 2020 election. It's the dividing line between candidates who have Trump support and those who don't. Trump also raised doubts that his voters will show up at all for the general election if Kemp is the Republican nominee. Brian Kemp is a turncoat, he's a coward, and he's a complete and total disaster. And it's not just Trump spouting false claims about the election. Every candidate on stage, even many voters in the crowd, repeated the falsehoods. Kemp's opponent, former Senator David Perdue, is now going further than before with false claims about the election, which he lost. Thanks to Brian Kemp, our elections in 2020 were absolutely stolen. More than a year on, false rhetoric about the 2020 election has persisted, at least among some segments of the Republican Party. Whether that message and Trump's endorsement translates into victory at the polls in 2022 is an open question. Saturday's event attracted a smaller crowd than Trump's other big rallies in Georgia. Many people started to leave before Trump finished talking. Sam Greenglass, WABE News, Commerce, Georgia. And finally, there's a new way to navigate Georgia's rivers without getting your feet wet. How? Tell us, Rose. I'll tell you. The Georgia River Guide app allows people to explore the state's so-called river trails, places with public access points for people to float and walk around. Andrea White with the Georgia River Network says they want to help people better enjoy the state's rivers. In the bigger picture, our mission is to to be the voice for Georgia's rivers. We advocate for Georgia's rivers. But the way we do that is by introducing folks to the amazing recreational opportunities on the rivers. 
Yeah, get out. The creators plan to add more rivers to the guide in the future, as well as other resources to help folks get to know the state's waterways. Now, coming up next, plans are underway to build new affordable homes in the East Lake neighborhood. We'll tell you all about it. Breaking news. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. This is Closer Look from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Now, bear with me because I'm, I'm on the Zillow.com website, and, and I'm putting in the zip code where WABE is located. It's 30324, and I'm looking up homes to buy and what's available. So here we go. Uh, Kevin Rinker, our uh, engineer. Kevin, here's a four-bedroom, four baths, about a million, 0.125. Okay, that's a thumbs down for Kevin. Uh, let's go across the street here, Kevin. There's another four-bedroom, four-bath, about 2,800 square feet, a little bit over a million. Thumbs down. Okay, let me see. Oh, hey, here's a uh, two-bedroom, two-bath condo, about 1,200 square feet, two, 270,000. Yes, no. Uh, okay, that's a, let's an empty lot somewhere. Well, let's go over to 30317, which is East Lake. What we got over there? It's a new construction, four bedrooms, five baths, 2,600 square feet, $725,000. Okay, uh, let me see. Uh, here's a three-bedroom, one bath, 945 square feet. It is $365,000. Do what you want with that piece of information. But we know, folks. That is the reality. That says it all. Nearly every ent entity or stakeholder tied into Atlanta's housing crisis agrees it's going to take a multi-pronged approach in addressing the housing. As I think Ryan Gravel said on this program some years ago, the housing tsunami. In other words, every little bit helps. Well, the Atlanta Land Trust is hoping to bring some new, what they say is permanently affordable housing to the city's East Lake community. And they say it begins with a two-acre land donation from the CF Foundation which has spearheaded uh, revitalization efforts in the neighborhood since 1993. Well, let's learn a little bit more about this. Amanda Ryan is executive director of the Atlanta Land Trust Incorporated. She's been on this program before. And Catherine Woodling, deputy executive director of the East Lake Foundation. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's good to have you. Chris. Amanda, I saw your face as I was reading those home prices. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's an uphill battle, that's for yeah. sure. And it just continues to worsen. We are just not creating enough supply to meet the growing demand out there. You know, more and more people are moving to Atlanta. Um, we have more and more people wanting to live in the city of Atlanta. And incomes are growing up. We have all of these really exciting announcements about companies that are opening offices in Atlanta or relocating to Atlanta. Um, so people are given more and more reasons to move here, um, which is creating more demand for our housing. And we're just not keeping up with the supply. I want to go back to something that you said. You said incomes are going up, but we have to keep in mind incomes for perhaps a certain demographic of the of the population here. Not everybody can will be in that income growth. And we know that here in the Atlanta area, income equality is one of the highest in the nation. I want to go over to Catherine. You're, you've heard these home prices before. Not surprising to you. No, not surprising to me at all. I mean, and it's not unique to the Eastlake neighborhood. It's pretty much everywhere in the city of Atlanta um, and, and many urban areas around the country. And Amanda, we have profiled your organization before. I believe we were over on near the west side some years ago, and you all were buying property for our listeners not familiar with what you all do. Take them through your mission of your organization. Sure. Yep. The Atlanta Land Trust is a nonprofit organization that works to deliver and steward permanently affordable housing 
to support inclusive and equitable communities around the city of Atlanta. And what differentiates us from other nonprofit affordable housing developers is that we do that using the community land trust model, um, which is really a different approach to community-based development. We're really centering the community and all of the work that we're doing. Um, and we do that by separating ownership of the home from ownership of the underlying land. Is that that approach, are we seeing more of that uh, throughout the nation? Do you all know, or is it still pretty unique? It's it's definitely fairly new to us here in Atlanta, but the community land trust model has been around for over 50 years now and actually first started in southwest Georgia as part of the civil rights movement mm-hmm. um, with an organization called New Communities, Inc., and since then has spread throughout the United States. And there are over 250 land trusts in operation across the country, small neighborhood-based community land trusts and larger citywide organizations like we aspire to be at the Atlanta Land Trust. And when we profiled you all some years back, we had actually profiled a house that belonged to a, I believe it was a Tuskegee Airman. It was renovated. For our listeners who may not quite understand it, someone qualifies for the program. They don't, own the house per se, but you all, they're able to proceed as if they are the owners, in other words. That's right. So we're basically, when you buy a house, you get a deed and Mm -hmm. your deed includes both the land and the house itself. We're separating ownership of the two. So our homeowners are purchasing the home or the improvement from us. And then the Atlanta Land Trust is retaining ownership of the underlying land. We then enter into a long-term ground lease with them that gives them the right to be on our land, but also establishes important resale restrictions. So they're asked to sell the home when they're ready to sell for an affordable price to another low-income family basically paying forward the benefit that they receive to the next family. I want to come over to Catherine for a moment. We all are familiar with the East Lake community and how some say this has been the model. It is a model for when there's public-private partnerships. We all know about East Lake community back in the 90s and how it took an initial investment of $300 million from the Cousins uh, folks to help in that regard. But where would you now assess the East Lake community in terms of affordability, Catherine? I mean, I know you're going to be honest about this, but. Yeah. So the affordability crisis in Atlanta is for real in East Lake as well. So their um, prices for homes have risen. Income has risen. And it's important for the East Lake Foundation and our board of directors that we continue to look into strategies to broaden housing availability in East Lake. Um, affordable housing and approachable market rate housing. And so this partnership with the Atlanta Land Trust is a really innovative way for us to bring affordable home ownership to Eastlake um, in a way that will address this affordability crisis um, in Atlanta and in Eastlake um, for today's families and for future generations. And this is all starting with the property. So uh, tell our listeners exactly where this property is going to, the land is being donated, correct? Yeah, the land is being donated. This is land that was owned by the CF Foundation. It's on Fayetteville Road in the Eastlake community, um, right behind the Publix as, of, uh, at Eastlake, if anybody's familiar with that area. Um, it's two acres um, directly adjacent to our newest uh, villages of Eastlake at Gardenside, which was a partnership with Columbia Residential that opened in 2020 um, that serves a, primor- a primary, um, primarily in a tax credit-based um, population. Um, and so we're, we're really excited about the proximity to the work that we do in Eastlake, proximity to Drew Charter School, uh, proximity to all of the amenities in Eastlake that make this community so uh, thriving at this point. And Amanda, so let's get to the, the details here. Who will actually develop these homes? Have you in it? That will be the Atlanta Land Trust will develop the build these homes. And for our listeners, what will you hope will be the market price? So the Atlanta Land Trust is going to be developing this project, but we're bringing in a partner to co-develop it with us. That's the Da Vinci Development Collaborative. Um, so they're they're bringing lots of expertise in real estate development um, and mission alignment with our organization as well. And we've been working with them uh, for over a year now to plan for the development. So we are We've made a lot of progress um, in partnership with uh, the CF Foundation and the Eastlake Foundation to understand what can be developed on this site and who we're going to be targeting. And to your question, what are the price points that we are trying to Because I'm getting emails already, as you know. <laughs> 
So, so this project is 100% affordable, but we're going to be targeting two different income levels here. Families at 80% of the area median income and 120% of the area median income. So it's going to be split evenly between those two income levels and price points um, for units being sold to families at 80% of AMI will start at 155000 And we're talking, so two acres, 40, 30 homes maybe? Yeah, it'll be a total of 40 townhomes, one, two, and three bedroom units. This announcement is major, and I appreciate you all making this announcement here on Closer Look. This announcement is major, and we know 40 to 30 homes is not a lot, but as I said earlier, coming to the segment, every little bit helps. This is actually part of other plans to do this in other communities around the city. How do you all plan to do that? Because will you be able to find folks to donate two acres? Is that what you're hoping? Yes, well, that is how I spend a lot of my time, finding (laughs) generous people that want to support our mission at the Atlanta Land Trust. Um, But yes, this is part of a broader initiative we have at the Atlanta Land Trust to um, develop 120 units in total of affordable housing. We have two other projects that we're working on right now, in addition to this one in Eastlake, both of which are in the Oakland City neighborhood. Uh, And in order to provide these homes at affordable prices, we do need to secure a significant amount of subsidy, whether that's Mm -hmm. through the donation of land or through grants from public and private partners. So in total, we're looking to raise about $11 million. And at this point, we've secured about 9.2 of that. When you put that this community up against what's happening around uh, we can use the golf course or, or publics or even the, the charter school over there. When you put that against this community, what is the total value here? The difference in value? Have you all figured that out? Because I imagine if these were, these were new, new builds at market rate 40, I don't have my calculator here, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> how much are we talking here? You think the value that it could be. So we haven't actually done the math to figure out what the differential would be between the affordable price in total and what the uh, market rate price is. But I can tell you what we estimate the value of the land to be, mm-hmm. which is about two point five million. Which is significant. Yes. Listener wants to know, how can you all do this and then not worry about the market changing in terms of price? And will that will that impact your price? This, this listener says. I think that's, I kind of that's a really good question, yeah. and that's kind of the heart of the community land trust model. So I mentioned um, this ground lease that we enter into with our homeowners. It includes what's called a resale formula, and that formula is used to determine how much somebody can sell their house for when they're ready to sell. And for our homeowners, what that means is that they are able to share in 25% of the appreciation of the home. Um, so that ensures that when the home is sold to the next buyer, they're able to realize some of that wealth but that the home is affordable to the next buyer. So the resale formula is really the magic sauce that allows for these homes to be permanently affordable while also building wealth for homeowners. Catherine, I want to bring you back into the conversation because you all at the Eastlake Foundation, what role will you all primarily play in this? And also, are you going to look at how the, the villages of Eastlake, will that be a similar, I mean, that's that, those are rental properties, correct? That's the correct. villages. So this is different because we're talking about homes. So what role will you all play in, in this? Well, in our work, we really want to provide residents at the villages of Eastlake an opportunity to move in, up, and out of poverty. And in many times, those families who are trying to move into home ownership can't move into home ownership in Eastlake. And we're hoping that we can, with this partnership with the Atlanta Land Trust, provide home ownership opportunities for families who live in the villages of Eastlake to make that next step and stay in the community, keep their kids engaged with through charter school, keep their kids engaged with all of the other partners within our Eastlake initiative um, and really impact them in that in that American dream um, that they're striving for. And so I guess that goes back to when Amanda was talking about meeting the needs of the community, having the community at heart, because if you've been renting for a long time and you want to be a homeowner in Eastlake, uh, you may not have had the, the, the resources, the financial resources to afford because we just went over all the prices. So, well, Catherine, will they then be given a, a top priority? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So we've been 
closely working with Amanda and her team to ensure that, first of all, the residents of the village of Eastlake are informed about this property and this project, um, that they are prepared for home ownership. So they have gone through all of the home ownership um, classes. They know what they need to become homeowners. And also that they get a priority um, when, these, when these homes are finished. Um, and by the first information session, I think the interest is great. We had more than 50 residents join the first information session for this project. And that's just in learning more about it. So here's another question. Uh, where is this community? I love our listeners. Where is this community again? And when can folks get more? Do you have to already live in that or are they just a top priority? It's a fair question, I think. No, you don't have to live in Eastlake. It is going to... Um, the villages of Eastlake residents will have top priority, but this is Eastlake in the, the far southeastern corner of the city of Atlanta, um, where the sun rises first, as they say. All right. So the process is open for folks to learn more information. Where can they go? They can go to the Atlanta Land Trust website, atlantalandtrust.org. And at the top, you'll see an events tab. If you click there, you can sign up for our next information session and begin to collect information so you can decide if this program is a good fit for you. And when will y'all break ground? And then more importantly, when we see that first, that new bill completed? So we're hoping to start construction this summer. um, And we expect the first units will be ready for move in um, early next year. Wow. Amanda, you and I have had this conversation so many times. Uh, How excited are you about, listen, again, it won't solve the region's affordable housing crisis, but it's a, it's a step forward. How excited are you all? We're, we're thrilled. And, you know, it it is, it is a small number of units, but what you have to remember about our model is these units are going to be permanently affordable. So they're going to benefit generations of families over time. So we're really excited to prove that this model works and that it's really a more sustainable approach to affordable housing in Atlanta. Catherine, I'll give you the last word. I got about 30 seconds. What does this mean for you all in continuing with your mission at the foundation? This is just huge. It allows us to broaden the housing avail- availability in Eastlake, um, and we couldn't do it without a partner like the Atlanta Land Trust. So we're really grateful for our partnership and look forward to seeing those first homes come out of the ground. All right. We want to be there for that. Catherine Woodland, Deputy Executive Director of the Eastlake Foundation. I've also been in conversation with Amanda Ryan, Executive Director of the Atlanta Land Trust Incorporated, talking about the phases of bringing affordable homes to the Eastlake neighborhood. Breaking news right here on Closer Look and plans to build another Atlanta communities. Thank you both for taking the time. We'll check back in on the progress. Thank you. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. I'm Rose Scott. It was reported that last year, more than 30 percent of households led by black mothers were living below the poverty line. That's more than two and a half times the national rate. You may recall earlier this year, I had a conversation with Atlanta City Councilman Amir Faroqi and Hope Woolensack. And she was the executive director of the Georgia Resiliency and Opportunity Fund. And we talked about the launching of In Our Hands. This was a guaranteed income program supporting 650 black women throughout Georgia with a $850 monthly stipend for two years. Most people think have questions about how the money will be spent and sort of why the focus on black black women. I think that it is a pervasive misconception that folks who are experiencing economic insecurity have made poor choices and it's not the result of uh, poor policies that have been failing people for far too long. The majority of Americans can't afford a $400 emergency. And we know that those this economic insecurity and growing wealth divide is concentrated in communities of color. It's concentrated among women. And so really a program like this is acknowledging the deservedness of all of us to live a, live a decent, dignified life. It's acknowledging that currently our economy is failing lots of different groups of people, but the most acute impacts are, are, are faced by various groups, among them being Black women. And so instead of looking for, we need really solutions, policies, programs that are cha- that are bold, that are changing the paradigm, that are taking a new approach to these really entrenched problems. We're never going to see progress if we continue to do the same things. Program learnings that hopefully will have a wider impact and change the paradigm on how we think about economic insecurity. 
Well, today on the program, we're going to continue examining how guaranteed income programs in other cities have been working. This is part of our Paycheck to Paycheck series. Now, Magnolia Mother's Trust is one of the longest running guaranteed income programs focusing on black women. It's based in Jackson, Mississippi. And joining me now with more is Aisha Nundero, the founding CEO of Springboard to Opportunities and the creator of Magnolia Mother's Trust. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Let's begin here because you heard what Hope Willensack had to say about the need for guaranteed income programs. I know it's not lost on you how much truth is in what she stated. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and I know Hope and I know Amir, I'm actually on the board of In Her Hands and the work that we do with the Magnolia Mothers Trust, we really started doing in 2017. So it was before your current crop of guaranteed income programs and even before guaranteed income was a household term mm-hmm. in some communities or in some homes. And it really was to address the need, recognizing that in this country, because of the way of our social safety net is designed, families do not have the financial resources to attend to their day-to-day let alone to attend to their future. So we launched the Magnolia Mothers Trust, which was the first guaranteed income specifically focused on Black mothers in 2018 to really begin to shift the conversation and change the narrative on poverty by changing the narrator and really recognizing that the way in which we talk about poverty and the way in which we talk about Black women in poverty, it's just not true. It's based on stereotypes and it's based on um, isms of who it is that we believe they are. It's not who it is that they tell us they are. And so we launched Magnolia Mothers Trust and we've been doing this work, like I said, since 2018. We've supported over 220 Black mothers here in Jackson, Mississippi with $1,000 a month for 12 months, so that's $12,000. And in a lot of instances, we are doubling their income. And we should discuss that because, you know, we don't have a federal minimum wage that allows individuals to make to have a living income. I want to go back for a moment before we, we, we go a little further, because with Magnolia's Mother's Trust, obviously you had to have a, a funding seed here. How you how how were you all able to get funding? Who did you get partners? Did you have partners, I imagine, or did you all have this already? You know, no. So when we really first started thinking about this in 2017, we didn't have partners to fund it or in the ideal of giving someone cash without restrictions um, from a philanthropic mindset was a novel idea. And we did have a lot of pushback. And so I get that question often about how did you fund this? And I always say blessed, wet and tears in Jesus, because it really was. (laughs) You need all that. (laughs) You need it all. And some more is what you're saying. Much. <laughs> did you get let me ask you this Aisha did you get people saying that they didn't quite understand it that they maybe thought is this welfare what was the biggest misconception you think people had about these this type of program because yours was one of the first yeah you know so yeah we got that then and we still get that now and the reality is it's not that people don't understand it the reality is when we talk about poverty we believe that poverty is a personal choice we don't recognize that it's a policy failing and so since we believe that poverty is a personal choice the idea that you are going to give individuals money with no strings attached is an idea that many individuals cannot wrap their head around because we are so steeped in deservedness and we tell ourselves that in individuals are poor because they choose to be poor. Mm -hmm. And if you are choosing to be poor or make decisions that allow you to live in poverty, well, then how dare we support you with any economics in order to allow you to not have to live in poverty? Yeah, perception can really, well, that's a whole nother segment. Let me me stick to the topic. Let me me stick to the topic before I get more emails. Uh, How, what, how did you all go about in getting women to join the program? Was there any other than the, the 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 income criteria, and I imagine yeah. you had a lot. It was overwhelming the response. Well, you know, the first year it wasn't, um, and this really? is real. And so, let me two two points to that. So, Magnolia Mothers Trust is a component of a larger initi- is an initiative of a larger organization, mm-hmm. Springboard to Opportunities. So Springboard works directly with families that live in federally subsidized affordable housing. So, that is our target population, and because of that, we already have a, a built-in access and network to individuals by which could participate in this program. And it was participation via lottery. Families opt in. We have a lottery process. The first year, it was interesting that you asked because the first year when we launched this, women really could not believe that we were just going to give them money. A couple of our, our moms were like, 
I would believe this was a scam if it wasn't coming from y'all. Because, I mean, how often does someone tell you you can apply for a lottery and you'll get $12,000? So the first year, you know, it was a bit sticky in getting individuals to sign on. But yes, but since then, we have a waiting list right now of over 500 women. Um, We're about to go into our next cohort. We'll be supporting an additional 100 women. But we still won't be able to get all of the women off of our waiting list because the need is so pervasive. A thousand dollars a month what were the stories that you heard from women in terms of how much that helped them in their households yeah um you know so the reality is a thousand dollars a month would help most of us uh, so it's a significant amount of money it's mm-hmm. not just helping this population sure. the reality is would help most of us uh, and we saw that families do what it is that any of us would do when giving um, a little bit of economic breathing room they went about taking care of the needs of themselves and their families individuals got out of debt continue to get out of debt they went back to school they got better jobs because they actually now have the ability to take off of work to go do job interviews or fill out job applications. But more importantly than all of that, individuals showed up with joy because for the first time they had a the breathing room to dream about the future. And we never talk about the cost of poverty as it relates to your bandwidth mm-hmm. because you are constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop because mm-hmm. you know that it will and you know that once it does, you don't have the financial resources necessary to weather that storm. Did you all require the women to pr- to provide what they were using this extra thousand dollars a month for was believe in cash without restrictions. If I tell you that you can only use your money for this or that, that's a restriction. And that really is deservingness and us saying what it is that we believe that you and your family are entitled for, entitled to, and what it is that we believe you and your family deserve. So we don't have any of those stipulations. So how do you all then track the effectiveness of this program? since you launched in 2018? Yeah, so we have a robust um, evaluation where we are collecting qualitative as well as quantitative data. And I think a better question is, you know, when we talk about effectiveness, whose metrics are we using to Mm -hmm. determine effectiveness? Because a lot of time, those metrics are created from a white supremacy lens and framework that we know doesn't center the true needs of those who are most marginalized and those most impacted. So how we consider effectiveness is... Are you able to show up for yourself and your family? Mm-hmm. Do you have breathing room? Mm-hmm. Do you have a better outlook for your future? Are you able to address your immediate needs right now? But not only are you able to address your immediate needs right now, can you think about the future? Can you plan for the future a little bit better? All of that is effectiveness. So. Let me ask you, this, as we're going to wrap up, what do you make of that so many other cities now are also Here in Atlanta, here in Georgia, we have two pilot programs. Last week we spoke about a program out in Oakland, California, We are seeing more of these guaranteed income programs come online. When you all started, y'all were sort of the new folks on the block. What do you make of that now? You know, I am thrilled. There are over 80 guaranteed income projects being planned or implemented in some form or fashion within this country. I think that's a big step towards changing the narrative about cash-based policies, but it's just the first step. In order for any of these projects to be sustained, we need policy at the federal level. It's great to have a pilot. It's great to have a demonstration project because we are all providing critical data that is necessary into the conversation. But without federal policy and to help us get towards sustainability, we really are not accomplishing the bigger task, which is to eradicate poverty within within this country, which we definitely can do. As someone who is labeled as a change agent and a and a anti poverty advocate for a long time, you, but this work this work is important to you because it has a special meaning. Tell all listeners about your grandmother. Oh wow, we've been there. Um, <laughs> That's what we do over here, Aisha. You know, you come on closer. Look, we we, be unraveling. We taking a deep dive. We all in your business. (laughs) Good business. You know, um, I think this work is so important to me because I really do believe in the power of purpose. And I believe in the power of what it looks like when individuals are operating in a purpose to create change for not just the immediate, but to have a generational impacts. And so you're asking me about my granny. My granny was Dr. Elsie Dorsey. Um, and my grandmother was born into poverty in the Mississippi Delta because of various interventions and programs that were enacted by people who were living in purpose on the trajectory 
trajectory of our family changed uh, in a relatively short amount of time within two generations. Our family's narrative and our family's legacy is totally different. And so when I look at the work that I am doing with Springboard via the Magnolia Mothers Trust and other programs that we're doing, it really is about purpose. And it's about how do you center the needs of those with whom you work with? How do you go about trusting individuals? Um, and how do you go about putting programs and services in place that they need that you know can have generational impact? Guaranteed income is just that. People always ask me about what women are using the money on. And that's great. But I really get excited when I think 20 years from now, mm-hmm. what those kids of the moms from you know this time point will be doing because of how their mom's lives were improved over the course of one year. Absolutely. And I should tell you that my roots are in Natchez and Shaw, Mississippi. <laughs> That's where my oh, folks. My. That's where my folks be from, as they say. So I definitely love. I got love for the state. I love of, it. Like who your people are. Yeah, that's it. where my oh, people be from. Great. So Aisha Nundero, founding CEO of Springboard to Opportunities, and also the founder of Magnolia Mothers Trust, a guaranteed income program helping so many Black women in the region. Aisha, thank you so much for all the work that you all have been doing. Thank you. Thank you so much for uplifting the work. Closer Look continues from WABE, Amplifying Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. A study conducted by the Immigration Research Library in the first months of the pandemic, this was way back in June or July of 2020, revealed this, quote, during the COVID-19 pandemic, the U.S. 7 million low and moderate income immigrant households and over 8 million immigrant workers were disproportionately impacted by the resulting financial shock, many suffering job or income loss, food insecurity, missed rent or mortgage payments, and avoidance of medical expenses, close quote. And so we wondered, what was the road like for to financial stability? What does this look like for many newly arrived refugees and one of those challenges? Well, Padia Mixon is CEO of the New American Pathways, and Maura Walters is the organization's resettlement and placement coordinator. They both joined the program. Padia, you've been on so many times. Welcome back. Thank you for having me, Rose. It's nice to see you again. <laughs> I know. It seems like a long time. I think last time I saw you, we were doing coffee conversations or something. That's what, two years ago, two and a half years ago? Wow. I it's been a while. Let's remind listeners the services and resources uh, New American Pathways provides. Well, New American Pathways is a refugee resettlement organization. That means we're one of the organizations that welcomes refugees as they arrive and helps them with housing, food, um, clothing, basic needs, jobs um, when they're new in the United States. And then we have continuing services like immigration, after school services, services for parents. Um, we have civic engagement, uh, long-term career services. So we provide a continuum of services, we say, from arrival through citizenship. And Mara, I think your title may say it a lot, and I hope you correct me if I got it right. You are the Resettlement and Placement Coordinator? Uh, yes, that, that is a condensed version of my title. <laughs> for, for folks who may not understand, can you sort of set, give them, just tell them about what it's like when someone arriving from thousand miles away and they're coming to little old Georgia, you know, and come in and primarily maybe over to the Clarkson area. Can you take them what that is like for these families? Um, but yeah, that is a very difficult process. Um, I mean, they're, they're starting over completely from nothing. Um, and so really it is a whirlwind. Um, people are going through a slew of medical appointments, getting set up in housing if they're lucky enough to find affordable housing, um, trying to get their documents in order and, and really start over from scratch entirely. And Padia, you all, any idea just how many households, how many folks you all have helped um, settle in the region since you all been around? Any idea? to that number? Yeah, so we've been around in one form or another for the past 40 plus years. So, I mean, you know, tens and tens of thousands. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say this this year, uh, by the end of the fiscal year, we believe we'll have welcomed 600 people. That's a big increase over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. But um, if you looked at us historically, that's probably about normal um, for us year over year. And 
Is it fair to a- ask or what region we're primarily talking about? I mean, we also know the situation with the Afghanistan in the last few months here. But you all have so folks coming from so many different places. We do. Um, right now, our biggest population are evacuees from Afghanistan. Uh, we've been a part of the process of resettling them from military bases. Um, in the United States, but uh, we're also receiving refugees from other places, from Syria, um, from uh, um, from Somalia, from Burma. You know, uh, all all over the place. Um, basically, any of the places you hear about conflicts in the mm-hmm. world, um, we're probably welcoming people from there. Do you anticipate also um, having folks in the next few months coming from Ukraine? Uh, We are preparing for Ukrainian refugees. I think it will take some time to get the processing centers set up and to get people through that process. But yes, we do anticipate receiving uh, Ukrainian refugees. Part of our Paycheck to Paycheck series looks at how folks of various populations, ethnicities, cultures, how they are making it. What will you tell our listeners about the financial plight for newly arrived refugees and how long that can take? to to get some what we would consider stability how long does that could could that take so the program that i primarily work with um, is the early self-sufficiency job readiness and financial literacy program so i'm working with our new arrivals um, for their first day in the u.s through their first eight months in the u.s and doing everything in between from assisting them enrolling in esl courses to really those first job placements, basic financial literacy, budgeting, opening bank accounts. Um, And what I can say is that their problems and challenges are the same as every other Georgian. Mm -hmm. You know, it is is very difficult. You know, rent is extremely high, utilities are even high. So it is a a problem. Um, But what I can say is that you know, the, the people that we serve are, are filling critical roles. They mm-hmm. want to work. They're working quickly. Most people are working by their third or fourth month in the country. And and last year, um, we had 100% self-sufficiency, meaning every single person in my program was working and paying their own bills by their 180th day in the country. That is, that's that's it. That's the, the, the average there. Is that what you're saying, Mar? Yes, for last year, yes. Pedia, your organization, you all provide so many resources and you're providing so many services when we talk about financial literacy being that important piece here. But also, as you just mentioned, you know, folks coming from various parts of, of, around the globe. Do you have I imagine you have to have partnerships to help as well. Do you have, do you have partnerships with, with financial institutions or universities or colleges to help along the way? And I don't know if that's a question for you or Amara. Uh, It's probably a little of both. So, I mean, we have a ton of partnerships, um, everything from working with, you know, local colleges for English classes, for skills recertification training. Um, Eventually, you know, some folks enroll in in college as well. Also, uh, lots of employers. Um, We have extensive partnerships. Uh, Mara and her department work with, I mean, you know, I don't even know how many employers, how many employers are you partnering with right now? It has to be dozens and dozens of, of employers, because uh, like you said, we have people coming from all over the world. Mm-hmm. We have people who come here, they were skilled professionals with decades of experience and people who are coming from very different environments where this is just a complete, you know, change. So, so Mark, let me ask you, are you all to the best that you can try and also match folks with their their occupations or their skill set or their expertise when, when they get here as, as well? Is that one of your top priorities or does that come a little bit later? You just want to get them working and then help them navigate to that set of, of skills that they may possess? It's definitely a priority, um, but there is an immediacy of employment and trying to get someone into a job so they can make money you know, and start paying their bills. A lot of our clients have, you know, feel this and an urge to send money home to their family who haven't been able to leave. Um, we do our best to match our clients into positions that are similar in their skills back home. Um, we also have a program 
at New AP called the Forward Program, where it is kind of a career advancement program. Um, and in that program, they do credential evaluation, um, kind of work workshops around networking and kind of building those more professional skills. And so there's a, there's a heavy emphasis in that program, kind of taking the next step um, for your career. Are you all able to help navigate in terms of the rental process? And you just earlier in the program, which seems like we have this conversation every day, we don't need to, I don't need to tell you about the housing crisis, but are we also looking at for many of the newly arrived refugees or renters, are they able, do you have programs that maybe down the line will be able to help them become homeowners? Um, Pedia, you can speak to that. I mean, homeownership is a goal for a lot of our clients. And um, we do work with a lot of partner organizations uh, to help people navigate that process. You know, uh, our job is often to help people navigate processes that already exist. Mm -hmm. And so um, that that's, that's kind of where we come in. Sometimes um, people will come in with a set of goals and how do I get there? Where do I start? Where do I go? So that's another place where those partnerships come in. I have a listener that wants to know, do you all also help in terms of education if they want to postgraduate work? Do you all help in that area as well? Or do you just want to help folks get to a point where they are self-sufficient, as Mara mentioned, and then from there they can navigate? If they need help, they come back to you all. Yeah, I mean, our our service model is a continuum of service. So um, initially, everybody needs to be safe, stable, and self-sufficient. That's that's the first step. People come with almost nothing. So they have to be self-supporting within mm -hmm. a limited amount of time. But yeah, we do have programs and encourage people to come back. Um, our, our, our idea is once you've reached self-sufficiency, it's about what are your goals? And then mm -hmm. our role is to help you figure out how to make those goals happen. Um, we have helped people go back to school to get master's degrees, to go back to finish education, um, to get certified. You know, we really work with clients where they are. Pedia or Mara, what is the biggest need other besides become, you know, securing jobs, security, obviously, but I imagine with the kids too, then the education for their children. Are those the top priorities that you all are, are, are faced with? When folks arrive? Getting kids enrolled in school, especially for parents from Afghanistan, because this is an issue, you know, is interrupted education and not having the opportunity to go to school. Getting kids into school is um, something that's very important to parents and kids. They're, they're very eager to start school. Once kids are in school, then it's about helping them improve their English, being a source for homework help, we have an education and youth program with after school uh, services in three DeKalb County schools. And that's exactly what we're focused on because, you know, when you talk to refugees about goals, it's, it's, it's career for myself, it's mm -hmm. safety, but it's also, I got on the plane for my kids. We hear that all the time that that's why I'm here. And so we want to make sure that the kids have the opportunity to succeed. Mara, do many of the folks tend to stay in DeKalb County, stay around. Often we hear about Clarkston uh, being this, this this unique, just multicultural, global town. It's not that big. Folks don't know Clarkston <laughs> is really, really small. But do folks tend to want to stay around in that area or in DeKalb County? I, I would say so. I mean, Clarkston is an amazing place. And anybody who hasn't been there, I'd highly suggest going. I mean, I, I would have a hard time imagining people wanting to leave because there is such a vibrant community there. You know, there's so much support. And, you know, why, why would they want to leave? Most people are, are staying, I'd say. Um, and we have some really wonderful employers who are willing to, to work with people. And I don't, I don't see why someone would want to, to leave. So and most, a, I'd say most are leaving. And a great coffee shop over there. I could give them a plug, but then I'll get an email. <laughs> but Padia, you can, you can mention it. <laughs> well, um, I know the last time I saw you, Rose, we, we were at Refuge Coffee actually in Clarkston, which is a really wonderful place. Um, and what I would say with Clarkston, Clarkston is a community that's launched so many people's lives in Metro Atlanta. Some people stick around Clarkston. Some people, after four or five years, they buy houses and move out. You know, um, I think refugees are, are like everybody else and seek of opportunity um, and, and, and you know, uh, 
school, there go for schools, for, for buying houses, for, for all the same reasons that everybody else moves. Absolutely. As we wrap up, and then this is part of our Paycheck to Paycheck series where we're trying to figure out how everyone is living, everyone's making it from paycheck to paycheck. Uh, Mara, I'll start with you. What do you want folks to know about this program and what you all are doing in, in helping those newly arrived refugees meet financial stability in their households? I'd say that refugees are, you know, they're, they're like everyone. They, they want to work. They want to make money. They want to thrive. They have the same challenges that we all do. And I'd, I'd want them to, anybody to know that if you have a job available, you know, please submit some information on our website. I'd be more than willing to talk to you. Um, I'm glad you said that. You know why? Because I received a voicemail this morning prior to coming to work. There was an organization that says they are hiring. They want to hire folks. I will pass that information along to you. That's what we do around here. (laughs) Please do. Yeah. Patty, I'll give absolutely. Patty, I'll give the last word about your mission. Um, Well, I, I, what I just want to say is um, we are so deeply grateful for all of the interest and support we've gotten, particularly around our Afghan refugees and um, the future in welcoming Ukrainian refugees to Atlanta. Um, we've, we've had so much generous support from the community, and, and we hope you continue to stay in, engaged with us. Um, you know, this, it, it's hard to start over. Uh, we say that we are standing with folks that during the second hardest period mm-hmm. of their lives. But, um, but but this program works. People make it. And it's a really beautiful thing to see every day. And real quickly, I have a listener who wants to know, are there refugees from Ethiopia and Eritrea and Sudan? And that's Yes. Yes, actually, we, we, we are receiving refugees from um, Sudan, from Ethiopia and Eritrea. Um, All right. Great work you're all doing. Patia Mixon is CEO of New American Pathways, and Mara Walters is the organization's resettlement and placement coordinator. Thank you both for taking the time. Thank you for what you've been doing for so many people for so many years. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. It's Thank so you, nice Rose. to be here again. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are Janine and Edder, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Razel. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker, who had a 10-hour bike ride this weekend. I don't know how he's... No, 12 hours, right? Yeah, 12 hours. I don't even know how he's still here. A reminder, let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. We will have links to all of the programs and organizations that we talked about on today's program. I see your emails. I really appreciate you all wanting to be involved with the community and these efforts. Thank you so much. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.